Welcome to the Wildscast. Today's guest is Rabbi David Aaron. Rabbi Aaron is a spiritual visionary and master educator who has invested over three decades delving into life's biggest question marks and sharing Torah's transformational wisdom to adults and young adults. He has emerged as the God expert simply because he has dared to ask and answer the most difficult questions that he, and really all people, have and or struggle with about God's existence and their own. We give you Rabbi David Aaron. We are live. Welcome, everyone, to the Wildscast, the MGE's podcast. I am so thrilled uh, to be joined by one of my teachers and heroes, Rabbi David Aaron, one of the great Torah luminaries of our generation. Uh, Rabbi Aaron has very successfully distilled the profound and inspiring insights of Kabbalah, of the Jewish mystical tradition. He's put it into a language which is contemporary, which is accessible, which resonates with our generation. He is the dean of Israelite and uh, Yeshivat Oraita in the old city of Jerusalem. He's also the author of eight incredible books. I've had the honor of bringing many an MGE trip to hear Rabbi Aaron on many occasions, and he never, never disappoints. Thank you for joining, Rabbi Aaron. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Rabbi Mark. And uh, we appreciate being invited into your home your home office and studio. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Here I am in the old city of Jerusalem. That's, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to get right into it because I know you have to teach a class in an, less than an hour, so we're going to jump. Um, and this is a big zuchut, really a big, big merit for us uh, to be able to do this. You know, one of the things that COVID has done, unfortunately, is kept some of our MG participants from hearing from you because you've always come to New York once or twice a year and we've gotten you then. It. I miss it. So uh, we appreciate you doing this. So I'd love for you to speak a little about your, your perspective on God. What is the biggest misconception that you think people have about God today? And how is your understanding of Hashem uh, shifted from the way you were raised to think about God? Right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the word God, although I <laughs> use it. It's on all my books, not all my books, but a lot of my books. But for most people, when you when they hear the word God, it conjures up some kind of image of uh, maybe a male figure, an invisible, an invisible man over there in heaven who's telling us what to do and uh, and has some kind of agenda. He's got some kind of a he's got a temper <laughs> and he's uh, very punishing and he demands obedience. And, um, and through my many decades of research has discovered that that is not the genuine understanding of what we mean when we say God, and we don't really say God that much, we say Hashem uh, in Judaism. And it goes into really what the Kabbalah describes as Hashem is, so to speak, the soul of our souls. And in contrast to an invisible man over there, uh, you know, most people think that God is someone in heaven who snapped his fingers and created someone on earth. But according to Kabbalah, God is not someone. He's the one. He's the only one. There's none but the one. And you are someone. You are some of the one. You are, so to speak, a masterpiece, a piece of the master. In fact, one of the metaphors that's used in mysticism is that we are to God like a drop is to the ocean. We are a part of the ocean. And, uh, and if you want to taste the ocean, you can taste the entire ocean in a drop. Okay, quant quantitatively, you're not going to get the ocean through a drop. 
but qualitatively, you're going to taste the ocean through the drop. And therefore, um, you know, so this is a this is a radical shift for most people. Uh, what we believe happened at Sinai is that we didn't meet this invisible man from heaven, but we met our self, not myself, not yourself, not even the sum total of ourselves, but rather the whole which is not even greater than the sum total of ourselves, but the whole which the ourselves are an unfolding of. Almost think of us as an inverted tree, whereby Hashem would be the root, and we are branches and leaves that are unfolding and outgrowing, growing out of the root. And so the relationship between the human and divine is not a relationship that could ever be severed. We are always connected to the root. We are always connected to the ocean. Or another metaphor of our relationship to God, would think of it as electricity. Like, for instance, in my room right now, there's an air conditioner and there's a light bulb. Uh, and let's say I had a uh, kettle over here. And so uh, they're all connected to the same self, which is electricity. When electricity flows through the air conditioner, the power of cooling becomes manifest. When it flows through the light bulb, the power of lighting becomes manifest. And when it flows through a kettle, the power of heating becomes manifest. So in this metaphor, Hashem, God would be the electricity. Mm -hmm. Soul, you as a soul would be the power of cooling, the power of heating, the power of lighting. And then the body would be the air conditioner itself or the light bulb itself or the kettle. And so, but right now you and I are connected to the one self that we share with the universe. And uh, what happened at Sinai is we heard our self speak to us, our higher self. You know, in fact, um, Carl Jung says something very, very deep. And Carl Jung actually does say that he was very influenced by Jewish mysticism. And he says that I simply believe that a part of the soul transcends time and space. Well, if a part of your soul transcends time and space and a part of my soul transcends in space, then that part is the same because there's no space or time that separates it. Right. So we would try to say it a little differently. We would say that we are part of a soul that transcends time and space. So if just to stay on that for a minute, thank you so much. So this is a question a lot of people then have when they hear this conception of God, which is there isn't this, you know, invisible man in this in the sky who's separate from us, but we are a piece of God. You know, that's the actual language of the the, the Tanya that I've been teaching, and um, we have some students watching this who come to that class. So, but uh, on the other hand, we're independent from God. We're separate from God. So it, help us understand how we can be both. How are we both part of God and not this really separate entity where God is over there, this punishing figure over there, and we're over here. We're an expression of God. God's working through us, but yet we're not because... Right. Excellent question. Thank you, Rabbi Mark. Mm -hmm. best. I know you did a lot of homework on this. Thank you very <laughs> much. Um, it, no, we are not separate from God. We are never separate from God, although we can think, act in ways, and, and, uh, and speak in ways that create an experience of being separate from God. But we are never and can never be separate from God. But we are other than God. In fact, our relation to God, again, using metaphors, would be similar to a baby in the womb of her mother, okay? Mm -hmm. The baby is in the mother. The baby is a part of the mother. The baby cannot exist independent of the mother, not right now anyways, but in the womb. 
but the baby is nonetheless other than the mother, other than the mother, okay? <laughs> so the mother can't say, uh, you know, that uh, me and my baby are the exact same thing. The baby is other than the mother, and yet the baby exists within the mother, the baby is a part of the mother, the baby it cannot exist without the mother, but the baby is other than the mother. Uh, and the same thing, you know, it says that Adam, uh, the first cre the cr first human being, uh, was really androgynous, which was this, this one being that included, included a significant other, you know? And so within this one being is, you know, uh, lowercase Adam and lowercase Eve, who are part of this uppercase Adam. And so again, the image of God is an image that has otherness included within its oneness. Mm -hmm. It's really the, the image of love. You know, when you really love somebody, you experience a sense that I am so one with my wife, and yet I am other than she, and she is other than me, and yet we're one, but we're not one and the same. So the fact that we are literally a part of God, although, of course, God doesn't break up into little parts, but that's the best words we can use. Mm -hmm. I am, what part of God am I? I'm that part that is other than God. You know, there's an otherness within God, which would require a few more podcasts together, which I'd be happy <laughs> to do. Right. But right now, the, I think the metaphor is a good one. In fact, you know, the, the terminology, which I would think would be a good idea to start adopting, rather than using God or Hashem, to use the word Rahmana. Mm -hmm. Rahmana is the term that often appears in the Zohar, the Kabbalistic, um, mega text and uh, Rahmana means the unconditional lover and and, and the word Rachamim, Rahmana is the same word in Hebrew for Recham which means womb and when we talk about Hashem being Rachamim or, or Rahmana one of Rachamim it means that Hashem loves us like the same love he uh, one would a mother would love her baby her unborn baby her unknown baby, she doesn't know this baby, you know, and yet she already loves this baby. And so, so, you know, so we exist within God. We are a part of God, yet we're not God. We are other than God. So that, of course, is going to take us into a big conversation, which I don't think this is the format right, right now. But, right. Enjoy. but uh, I think, interestingly yeah. enough, even within ourselves, we do things other than what we want. It's a strange thing. I, I want to lose weight, and yet that piece of cake is so <laughs> interesting. And so I desire that which is other than what I want. And so even within myself, there's this sub this sub-character which is other than me, which I kind of sometimes need to struggle with, but there isn't me and my sub-self. I got you, and I got so, you. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, imagine you're walking down the street, and, uh, and you meet a man that is 90 years old. And you've never met him before. And he comes up, he says, hey, Rabbi Mark. And you're thinking, how does this man know me? We wouldn't let him into MJE. He's 90 <laughs> years old, right? And I was like, how does he know me? And he says, excuse me, sir, I, I don't recall meeting you. I said, no. Well, I, I, well, I just want you to know, I, I know you really well, uh, Rabbi Mark. In fact, I, I, I know where you grew up. <clears throat> I know what schools you went to. I know the struggles you had. Uh, you go, well, how do you know that? 
He says, well, Rabbi Mark, I'm you at age 90. Ooh. And you say, whoa, wait a second. I'm you? He says, no, I didn't say you're me. Right. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you're whatever, 35. I don't know what old, how old you are. We don't need to put that on the air. <laughs> right. But it's like, it's like, you know, you're a subset, so to speak. So, you know, so he is you, but you're not him. You're right. other than him, you're a part of him. Okay. Now, if you met your 90 year old self and he would say, Rabbi Mark, I, 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 I really advise you that you should do X. You'd probably say yes, because this is 90-year-old, you know, wow, that's a matter. So at Sinai, we met ourselves at age timeless. Mm. And ourselves, not yourself, not myself, not ourself, not even the combination of ourselves, not even the whole that's greater than the part of ourselves, of the, the sum of ourselves. But the one self which all souls are unfolding from and a part of and continue to exist as an aspect of, but yet we are other than God. Right. Well, that, that's, that's a very helpful metaphor. And, and so the, let's pick up on the last thing you just said about at Sinai meeting our ages. By the way, if I look down, it's because I'm taking notes. Um, at age, we meet ourselves at age timeless, the one self which... So based on this conception of God, who are we in relation to each other? A lot of my students always ask me this, you know, what is the connection that one soul has with another soul? Um, is there a relationship between, let's say, the Torah's command to love thy neighbor and our belief in God? I mean, I can't believe that they're just incidental side by not side. Only, they're not incidental. It actually says in the verse, Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. What does I am God have to do with loving my neighbor as yourself? In fact, most of the time, people don't quote those last couple of words. You know, <laughs> is it the point of the verse, love your neighbor as yourself? So what is I am God doing there? You see, I am God is the, the reason and the case why you absolutely can love your neighbor as yourself. Because I am it doesn't say God. It says, I am yud Hey vav Hey, which means I am reality. I am existence. I am all there ever was, is, and ever will be. And you are all a part of me. And so imagine you've got these two leaves on a tree. And one turns to the other one and says, you know, you really are annoying, man. Like, you, you know, you, you make a lot of noise in the wind. You know, like, you just bug me. Like, you know, get lost. And the guy says, you know what? I don't even like you either because you're green. <laughs> Talk about green. <laughs> Look at yourself in the mirror lately. <laughs> they don't realize that these two leaves, which are really sharing a twig, are really a part of each other. I'm not you, you're not me, but on a very deep level, we are part of one twig. Okay, we figure that out. Okay, we're brothers. But I can't stand the people next door. <laughs> you know, the family next door, they're so annoying. Well, guess what? You know, on a deep level, they belong to a twig, and your twig and their twig is actually connected to the same branch. Okay, our neighborhood, our community. We got the best community, and the, and the community on the other side, you know, the, 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 the east side of Manhattan, got nothing <laughs> to do with us, right? Never going to go over there. Well, guess what? The east side and the west side of Manhattan are actually plugged into a bigger branch, Okay, well, I love people from Manhattan, wherever they are. 
But the people down there in Florida, what connection do I have with people in Florida? Well, they're just, uh, they're another branch that connects into a trunk. And all of this is unfolding from a root. And so if the root would say to all its leaves, love each other, because on the deepest level, you are all connected. And that's what love is. Real love is a realization. You know, I can't command you to feel something. And it's not really a commandment to feel something. It's a commandment to act in a certain way. So if you treat a person in a loving way, then it's very likely that you'll start to feel this deep sense of connection, a connection that goes well beyond the behavior. You know, suddenly you feel this connection. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, I loved going to rock concerts. And the moment I loved the most at the rock concerts is when everybody would hold a match. Now, I know that today people are holding their cell phones. <laughs> it is a desecration of rock and roll. <laughs> I was just at, uh, when I bumped into you in Israel, Rabbi, and we had just gone to the Yishai Rebo concert, and he actually told everyone, take out your phones, put your flashlights on so we can do the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, so in my days, we'd actually light a match. I know right. that's a lot of effort, you know. And I remember the first time I must have been 14 years old or 15 years old. And I was at this concert, thousands of people in this concert hall, and everybody's holding a match. And like I said, wow, well, this is unbelievable that I needed, I didn't have a match. Excuse me, have a match, you have a match, match. And then I looked at match and I said, and I don't know, and I didn't know why I loved it, but I waited for that moment at all those concerts. And then what happened was that I was invited to a Shabbat experience with like 300 teenagers. I had never, I had never participated in Shabbat before. And then they were, they were, they did this candle lighting ceremony. They had this long table and they were singing and dancing. And then they started lighting their candles. And I said, wow, this seems so familiar, but I, I never did this before. <laughs> and then I realized I did do this before that what I was looking for at these concerts was an experience of a shared self. We were one. We were one at those concerts. Uh, but uh, sadly, at the end of the concerts, we weren't one. We stepped on each other to get out. And, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really much of a continued community that happened over there. And then at Shabbat, I realized, my gosh, I've been looking for Shabbat at a Black Sabbath concert. You know, I mean, that's what I was looking for. I was really looking for a sense of myself as part of a greater self that I share. And 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 it's interesting. You're you're saying that like at a concert, or I could think of other experiences when we have that awesome feeling of being tied into something bigger than ourselves. You're saying you're suggesting that we're we're starting to feel the reality of being part of this. You know, a twig. That, uh, that is called a God moment. Yeah. That is the God moment where you deeply realize yourself as part of a greater self that you share with so many others. And, uh, and we love to witness that also. I mean, what is it that we love about seeing like uh, what they call flash mobs and suddenly yeah. you've got this one guy in a railroad station, he starts dancing and then two other guys jump in. And before you know it, you got, 300 people dancing in perfect synchronicity. And there's something that just feels so beautiful and so attractive about that. Because we are looking because we, in our deepest depths, we know that there's one self that we all share. And that's what the word God means in Kabbalah, the one self. 
the soul of our souls. Beautiful. That's very powerful. Thank you. Uh, let's stay on that a little longer, if you don't mind. You like to speak about how fundamentally we're souls, right? And that we play a certain character in our life. You should just know, Rabbi, that when you gave that metaphor, there was a, a young man sitting there, my friend, who's probably going to be listening to this, Daniel Wallach. He's now learning in yeshiva for his second year. Um, wow. He came to MGE and we brought him to Israel. And I remember we brought the group to Asia Torah to hear from you. And uh, we just booked a room there. And you gave this great talk about we're souls. We may play a character. You went around the room, you asked everybody their name. And you said, we play a character in life, but that's not who we are. And it resonated with Daniel in particular because he's an actor, he's a professional actor, and he teaches acting. And that, the whole character versus who you are. So that it's incredibly powerful. So I have two questions on it. Number one, how does that shift um, the way we look at ourselves? A, and that's pretty obvious, but I still want to hear it. And B, what's the relationship between our souls and the characters we play? Like, how does one impact on the other? Like, I, I'm, I went to law school, I practiced a little as a lawyer, but I spent most of my adult life as a rabbi, as a teacher. So would my soul be different if I had gone into the law than, let's say, starting MGE? Um, what's the relationship between the characters we play and the soul that we are? Okay. So, first of all, I have something called soul pun, not old pun, where you learn Hebrew, but <laughs> okay. soul pun, where you learn the language of soul. Uh-huh. You, you, you a number of times said, my soul. You don't have a soul. You mm -hmm. are a soul. We say myself, but you don't have a self. You are a self. So, we, we need to realize that we're speaking a language that's kind of alienating uh, who we are from who we are. Because I don't have a soul. I am a soul. I, soul, I'm tacking to a soul. Now, I, soul, am playing a character called Rabbi David Aaron in this life. And it's very possible in a previous life, I played a different character. And it might be that I will in a future life have to play another character. This is actually brought up in the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah says that the soul that played Abel in Cain and Abel came back to the world and played Moses. Okay. And that, and, and, uh, and uh, so, and so there's a whole book called the book of reincarnation, but I'm not going to go into those details right now. It's just, um, you know, w w what I, uh, what I basically ask people is this simple question. When you were a child, did you ever ask yourself this kind of crazy question? Who would I have been if my mother would have married another man? <laughs> Now, when I ask that question, a lot of people in the audience say, yeah. I said, well, do you realize what your question is intuiting? You're basically saying that there is a self that transcends the particular me, the character I'm playing, that I could have come into this world and I could have been born into a taller body. I could have been born into a, a, a blonde-haired guy rather than a red-haired guy. Uh, I might have been born into a character that speaks a different language. And yet, you know, so, so, so you are a soul and you're playing a character. Now, why is this so important other than freaking people out? <laughs> well, because the truth is that most people base their self-worth on their character. Mm -hmm. And that's not where you should be basing your self-worth on. We're not diminishing the character. The character is a tool 
and a vehicle to express your self-worth. But it's not the source of your self-worth. You know, if your self-worth is your great body, then what happens when your body starts to deteriorate? So your sense of self deteriorates? You know, if you had this amazing job in Manhattan and you were making a tremendous amount of money and you had a, 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 a tremendous reputation and then you went bankrupt overnight, there are people that kill themselves. Yeah. Why? Because they can't live with the failure because I am this successful businessman and now I am not this successful. But you were never a successful business. You were a soul. You played a successful business now. Now you're playing a, a, a struggling businessman, but you're a soul. And the good news from all this is that you will never die. Now, characters die just like in a movie. Imagine a guy works so hard to get a, 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 a part in a script and he gets this part in the movie and he reads through the script and he can't believe it. In scene nine, he dies. Well, I don't want to die. <laughs> I don't want to die. So uh, he goes back to the director and says, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do this film. Why not? Well, I don't want to die. <laughs> Is it <laughs> you're not going to die? You're, you're an actor. You're going you're gonna to play dead and then you're going to get up and get a, an Oscar and play, get another film. Judaism teaches that you, now when I say you, because we're so enmeshed in the character, so people think, oh, you, Rabbi Mark, you, Rabbi Aaron, you, Sarah, you, George, you, Scott. But the question is, the soul is who you are before you got your name, before you got your part. And um, so, of course, the obvious question is, well, what's then the difference between you as a soul and, and I as a soul? What's the difference? Uh, we can't describe the difference, but there mm -hmm. is a difference. Mm -hmm. How can we not describe the difference? It's kind of like the spectrum of consciousness. You know, but you know what, Rabbi, just before you get to the difference, and I know I asked you this, but let's just stay on this for a second. It, it's so difficult for those of us raised to become successes in life, and success is always defined on our character's success, not the soul's success. What, what, what recommendation could you give? How can we... I, how can we more deeply identify with the soul? I mean, the what's that? The secret to success is to not look for your self-worth from your character, from your job, from your looks, from how many Facebook likes you get. Because all that is transient. None of that you can rely on. Real success is I take the character traits that I'm given and I use them in service of promoting a greater sense of oneness in the world, of shared self, of really the one self God in the world. So in our case, you know, we're both public speakers and we were both gifted the ability to stand up in front of an audience and speak. There are some people that cannot do that. Now, the question is, is that the source of my self-worth? Well, what happens when I'm no longer a rabbi? That's going to be pretty devastating. But if I understand that, no, my self-worth is how do I serve to bring greater oneself God consciousness into the world? Now I'm doing it through playing a rabbi. When I don't play a rabbi, well, there'll be some other way I should find that will continue to suggest, or not suggest, but to promote the oneness of God, the oneness of shared self in the world. And so your character is very important and we respect the character. We just don't 
rely on it for our self-worth. And, 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 and again, just to reiterate this basic idea, this is so powerful and just fundamental. We're using the self, you said, to promote the oneness of God or the shared, what was the thing that you had just said? The shared self. The shared That's self. Right. So it, it's just that these are very... I'm just wondering how we can even bring that even more down to earth. How is that attractive for people? Because it is attractive when you use your character to make a lot of money. Yeah. Right. Because that's where I really experienced the depth of my sense of I-ness. When, you know, it was that, that was that moment at that concert when I lit that match. And there was an exhilaration where I got out of the little me and was part of this grand transcendental we. And that is what we are all in our deepest depths looking for, okay? Now, again, now the question is, these musicians, they have the power to create an experience in a concert hall where people really felt together. They felt really one. Our hearts were pulsating together. We were rocking and we were rolling. There was something that was going on. There was a synchronicity that was so profound. The question is, what do we do with that? But a guy was given the talent to play music. Are you playing the music so that everybody says you're famous and you're, you're great and you made a lot of money? Or are you playing your music as an act of service to unite people into an experience of shared self that would promote so much love and mutual respect for each other, if that's what your music is doing? But recently there was a concert where people were killed because yeah. people were trampling on each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm not blaming the, the musician. That's not my place to blame anybody. But the question is, music should be bringing us together. You know, uh, let's say another person has the skill of administration. Mm -hmm. I don't have the skill of administration. You know, well, let's, somebody, let's say somebody has a talent for politics. Boy, Rabbi David Aaron would never go well in politics. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that guy. Mm -hmm. But now that you've been given the character, you can play, you know, a politician. Well, is your service to bring more love and more mutual respect that is rooted in a deep sense that we are one? We are not one and the same, but we are one, you know? Yeah. yeah. And let's say we don't have such a big position. Maybe right now I just got to make a living. And I got a job as a waiter or, you know, in, in, in some, you know, restaurant. Well, how do I serve to bring the greater sense of God into this restaurant? Well, you know, you're not there to give people food. You're there to smile and, 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 and say a kind word. You know, you could be helping a couple that's on a date to feel really good. You know, but we should always be looking for the opportunity to take whatever strengths we have, as well as weaknesses that we have, to use them as tools to promote what we're really here to celebrate, which is the shared oneself that we're all part of, which is the same thing as saying God is one. And we are one with God, and we are one with each other through God, because if God were the ocean, we would all be waves of that ocean. If God were white light, we'd all be different colors of the spectrum of white light. If God was electricity, we'd be the various facets of the electricity as it flows to the different appliances. But in the deepest of the deepest of depths, we are all one and we all mm -hmm. know we want that. And, and, you, and, and, and in terms of the differences then, I'm sorry, I, I jumped in 
um, when you were starting to say, uh, we can't really, can we, do we as humans have the ability to perceive the differences? Obviously our souls are going to be different because they're influenced clearly by the characters we play. Um, Actually, your character is a reflection of the kind of soul you are. And I'll give you an example, which reminds me, I, I started something I didn't complete it, which is my fault here. So uh, think of the souls as different facets of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Let's say I am seeing, you are hearing, uh, he is smelling, uh, she is um, feeling. So now describe seeing. What does seeing look like? What's the color of seeing? What's the shape of seeing? What's mm -hmm. the texture of seeing? Seeing, which enables you to identify texture, shape, and colors, cannot be described by anything it sees. So seeing is indescribable, although it lets you describe, it itself is indescribable. But is seeing the same thing as hearing? No, it's very different. Well, how is it different? I don't know. Hearing is not seeing. But, you know, so describe <laughs> hearing. Well, what does hearing sound like? Well, it doesn't sound like anything. Oh, so how are we going to describe hearing? What does hearing look like? I can't describe hearing. Okay, but clearly the indescribable, which enables me to describe, is very different than the other sets. Okay, what does feeling feel like? What does taste taste like? What is the fragrance of smell? In other words, here are, so think of these, each of these senses, these different aspects of consciousness as souls. Now, the power of hearing becomes embodied in an ear. Okay, mm -hmm. and the power of seeing becomes embodied in an eyeball, and so the power of you is embodied in the character called Rabbi Mark Wilds, you know, and um, and the power of who I am as a soul is embodied in the character right now of Rabbi David Aaron. So there's clearly a connection between, you know, the the soul and the character that embodies the soul. Okay, so the soul, it's really that the character is expressing the soul, not vice versa. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Really and, 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 the, and, you know, you say the soul never dies. Um, I, I, I listened to an amazing video. Um, it was on YouTube. Um, and anyone who's listening to this should definitely uh, watch it. Um, you talked about uh, the world to come, life after death. A death is really just the end of life of the character you've been playing. Soul lives on. Um, and you did mention that the Kabbalists speak of perceiving God in a much more direct way, you know, once we're no physically, once we're no longer physically alive. I mean, why can't we get that perception today? I mean, and, or is Shabbos, you know, we talk about Shabbos as me'en olam haba, it's a, a glimpse of the world to come. We're, we're, we're getting a little glimpse, but why can't we just have the whole thing now? Right. Well, you know, some questions get an answer and some questions get a class and some questions get a course. <laughs> you just ask the course question. I, I don't want to look like I'm just totally copying out. Yeah. I'm copying out. Is, um, you know, think of it this way. Imagine you're, you're, you, you have three keyholes. Well, let's say five keyholes, the five senses. And we're looking through these keyholes. And really... It's a doorway to this elaborate palace, but we don't know that. So we're looking through these little keyholes and we're trying to construct what is it behind these little five keyholes. And then when they open up the door, we go, oh my gosh, now what I saw 
was there, mm-hmm. but it was really out of context. It was really fragmented. And then I realized, my gosh, right now we're looking at reality. And reality, Hashem is reality, although Hashem is even greater than reality. But reality as we perceive it would be, so to speak, one of the faces of the face of God. And right now, seeing reality through our senses is limiting. The question is, why? Why are we getting a limited glimpse of the one self that we're all part of? Because if we get an overwhelming dose of the truth, we will completely lose our sense of self. And that is not what we want to happen. It's kind of like falling in love. You know, when you meet your soulmate, it's really easy to just surrender and lose your sense of distinction and differences because, wow, but that's not healthy. That's not the real depths of the oneness that we should share. True love is where two people are one, absolutely one, but not one and the same. Now, this would go into a much deeper idea that is not really for the podcast right now, which is, as we mentioned, we are one with God, but we are not one and the same as God. We are one with each other, but we're not one and the same as each other. And we need to kind of grow into that slowly. So there's a reason why we're in this body. Our body is giving off a a diluted sense of self that I'm in this bag of skin. And I got to save my skin. And I'm in this container and you're in your container and we're separate from each other. And that's not true. But what does the body serve us in terms of the positive is the body's reminding us that I'm not you and you're not me. Now, it's also confusing us that we're separate. I'm not you and you're not me and we're separate. So that's where the body has got a little bit of a negative side to it. But the positive side is the body's reminding me that I'm not you and you're not me. You see, there's a teaching in the Kabbalah that when you start with oneness, you will end up in separation. But when you start with separation, you will end up with oneness. Mm. And playing off the story of the Tower of Babel, they all wanted to be one, but a oneness that denied individuality. We're all going to be one. And so then that ended up where everybody got fragmented and separated and scattered. So that oneness ended up into a scattered separation. But the Kamala says that one soul, when it comes into the world, half of it drops into, you know, of one body and half of it drops into another body. And then, and, and, and these two people, well, I, I, I dropped into Canada. My, my wife dropped into France mm-hmm. and then we met and we realized, my gosh, we're one soul. So then why did we have to spend all these years apart from each other? Because in my own way, I had to develop my unique identity in, as an individual before I could then be part of, a universal that doesn't undermine myself as an individual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is, um, thank you for clarifying. We literally spent the last three weeks in our Tanya class on Chesed versus Gevura, God's a bounty of kindness and giving of himself, but then restraining and pulling back because too much of God, if you will, too much of Hashem, um, to use your language, is going to overwhelm us. We'll lose our, we'll lose our sense of separateness or sense of self um is that what you think happened at sinai because i would still ask you to 
to edit the word separateness because <laughs> mm-hmm. we really never want to feel separate. We want to feel distinct. We want to feel other. Right. We want to feel differentiated. But if not- we don't, but if we don't, in other words, if we just had this overwhelming sense of Hashem, and there was nothing, there was like no sunscreen, so to speak. It was just direct. Exactly. Yes. That's we, right. we, we would lose ourselves. I, I, that was always my understanding of, of what happened at Sinai, where the Jewish people turned to Moshe and they said, you get the rest of the Torah, we can't take this. It's too much. Well, actually, yes, you probably remember the Midrash that says that the souls of the Jewish people jumped out of their bodies and they all died on the spot and angels pushed their bodies back in, their, their yeah. souls back into the body, meaning that the point where they met the I am, all there ever was, is and ever will be, the soul of your soul, that's what they heard. Anochi Hashem Elokecha is I am Hashem, reality, existence. I am all there ever was, is, and ever will be. There is nothing but one I am. Elohecha, I am the soul of your soul. You know, when they heard that, it was like, view. That was like all this electricity pouring into the appliance and it just <laughs> short, short, you know, shorts. It's just like, boo. You know, so that was a, a circuit breaker. <laughs> what we need is a body that filters this out and lets us slowly develop our sense of individuality so that when we do slowly realize our true self as part of the greater self, we don't lose ourselves in God. We mm-hmm. find ourselves in God. You don't need to, you know, even in, in, in Hasidus, you know, and, and you'll find this, of course, in in, in Lubavitch, and Chabad Hasidus, the idea of bitul yesh. Mm. A lot of people have confused bitul yesh to mean that I'm going to annihilate myself. No, you're going to annihilate your ego, <laughs> and not yourself. Ego stands for editing God out. That's E-G-O, <laughs> editing God out. Is that your own? That's great. No, no, it's a... <laughs> combination of things I've read. Uh-huh, but, okay. um, but the idea here is the ego is trying to convince us that I'm self-contained, self-sufficient, independent, separate from any greater reality. And that's so not true. And that's so painful because we so much don't want to feel separated from a greater reality. But we also don't want to lose ourselves in a greater reality. And so this is really, you know, this is really the story of love. The story of, of love is the story of an evolving realization how people are one, but not the same. And that's real love. If I have to agree with you for us to feel connected, then that's not real love. You know, what is unconditional love? Unconditional love is when there are conditions that are challenging our love. If there are no conditions that are challenging our love, when would I be able to demonstrate unconditional love? Right. You know, I remember I was sitting with my wife one night. I said to her, you know, Chana, why do you love me? And she said, why do you assume that? I said, well, just for now. <laughs> you got to do it. Have you ever considered a little stand-up, Rabbi? Uh, yeah, that was really my passion. But no, I you've, got the, you've got the timing. I just had Elon Gold on here. You really could hold your own with them. Right. So, <laughs> my, so my wife said, I have no reason to love you. I found that really challenging. <laughs> you can't find a reason. What about my sense of humor? Rabbi Mark said I could be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> so I said, what about my humor? He said, oh, that's really not a reason for me to love you. So I said, you can't find one reason to love me. She says, not only do I have no reason to love you, you wouldn't want me to have a reason to love you. Yeah. So I said, I, I think I think I would. 
She says, no, you wouldn't. Because if I had a reason to love you, then it would the, be the reason I love and not you. Mm. And if that reason at any point was not valid, then what would happen to our love? I love you for no reason. I love you even when you give me reasons not to, which I do just to test, you know, test your love. Um, that's soul connection. I love you for no reason, but I'm not you and you're not me. And how could you love somebody for no reason? Because, huh. we're, because we're connected. That's beautiful. I, I, I heard, I think it's in the name of uh, the Slonim or the great Hasidic master, the Rebbe of Slonim, who said that's why God precisely comes to the Jewish people when they are on the Memtet Shari Tumah, the 49th level of ritual impurity, when they're steeped in idol worship in ancient Egypt as slaves. He came to them so that we could never say that God came to the Jewish people because they became worthy of his love somehow. They did A, B, or C, and then God said, ah, oh, now I'm going to come and help you. Now, he, he says that, that the yeah. he suggests that that's why God comes and aids the Jewish people at that moment. So we would never say that we, we did something to become worthy of, of, of that specific love. It's a very interesting idea. I, I want I, I, yeah, I thought that was such a gorgeous idea. Um, we only have a couple more minutes, Rabbi, and I wanted to ask you, if you had to choose, of all the great scholars and personalities in Jewish history, who is one Jew? That's, doesn't a, it, that's a tough one. <laughs> Who is one uh, Jew that you you know? And 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 what would you ask him? Uh, I I would I would like to meet Moshe Rabbeinu, mm. and I would like to ask him something he probably wouldn't be able to describe: is what does it actually feel like to meet God face to face? Mm. You know, I mean, Moses was a prophet. All the prophets they would they would actually when they went into a prophetic experience they collapsed and they went into sleep and Hashem spoke to him through dream Hashem didn't speak to him he he's so tuned into the higher self the one self that the 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 uh, the Lublina Rebbe says that God didn't speak to Moses God spoke through Moses and that really at Sinai, when the Jewish people heard, I am God, you're God, right? They didn't hear a voice from outside themselves. God spoke through them. They started to say, I am God, you're God. They, God spoke through them. That is the moment that I want to understand or, you know, from Moses' point of view. So if I had to pick, I mean, I'd want to meet everybody. Uh, if I had to pick, I would want, I want to, I want to ask Moses, and I want to ask him to describe for me the moment of that intense meeting with Hashem. You know, because wow. that's what I, uh, that's what I yearn for is that moment. You know, people ask me, you know, when do you feel God, and I say, well, when do you not feel God? You know, I don't, I don't feel I'm talking because I don't even know how to talk. You know, I don't think I'm thinking. I don't even know how to think. I experience a power working through me. You know, Friedrich Nietzsche said, although he's famous for saying God is dead, he's not so famous for saying that unless you experience an infinite whole working through you, your life has no meaning. What, what was he talking about? Mm, wow. Talking about what really Torah is talking about. When you experience yourself in service, you experience yourself being possessed by, by, the, by, by a greater self that you share with others that is working through you. 
That's why I think we get a tremendous joy when we watch some of these musicians and their fingers are flying, you know, and, and, and you just say, it's not human. Right. He's not it, even thinking about it. He's just sort of doing it. it. No, he's not yeah. even doing it. Yeah. If you ask him, how do you do that? He'll say, I just get out of the way. <laughs> my, yeah. you know, I get my ego out of the way. I'm just in this flow of a power that is playing through me. That is a moment of, 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 of God. And we are looking to be in that service. Well, you know, people, people have asked me why I'm so, I don't know if I've shared this with you. I'm ridiculously obsessed with the Beatles, um, specifically that band. Um, and I just watched on Disney channel. They had, they just came out with the, um, the recording sessions of Abbey road, the last uh, album that they, and the reason I'm just so enthralled is because it's so hard for me to understand rationally how guys who are in their early to mid twenties could have written such brilliant music and composed such beautiful poetry and lyrics. And it just, in such a short period of time, so much of it, right? right. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, 300 songs. They only wrote together for seven or eight years. It's, right. I don't know, to me, it, it feels like something was working through well, that. Why, that's why they're called Bittles, you know? <laughs> um, you know, um, they, they weren't surrounded. But, but isn't it interesting? Yeah. You would think that as they get older, then their music would even get better. And yet somehow, at an older life, they're not able to put out those hits anymore. Yeah. Which goes to show, was that really you, Paul? Was that really you, John? <laughs> or were you instruments for a higher power that decided the music was going to come through you, for, you know, for this generation? And later on, somebody else. And I think this is something that the, the humbleness that artists need to have is to realize that I want to be in service. And I want my music to be able to promote love and unity and, and oneness in the world. Uh, and uh, but it's interesting how some of these artists they just lose it. They lose that creative, they, you know, whatever they call it, you know, the artist cramp, and 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 somehow they're not a channel anymore. That's interesting. You know, and so I think this is to remind us: hey, you didn't write this music. You know, you didn't write this music. Your channel for a higher power. And I did meet a guy who played with some. He he played with some of the biggest rock bands in the world. And then uh, he, he actually embraced Judaism. And I asked him, why is there so much drugs in, 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 in the world of music? He said, because a lot of these guys, the original joy of music was being in service and in mm. the flow. And then they started getting famous and then their egos kicked in. And then it was about me. And it really wasn't about service anymore. He says, and that's when they go down. Then they start to go down. You know, and he said that that was the the, the, the the peak moment when I wasn't playing the guitar. I didn't write the music. I was I was in service of the of the creative spirit that wrote all this music. And, and I feel so connected in such a profound way. Those are profound moments. Wow. You know? I, I think that's really um, a theme coming out of this conversation or really what you're sharing today on this podcast is the idea of using your character, um, allowing your talents, allowing your strengths to be of service for God to sort of work through that so that your soul can somehow be no, manifest. Not you, you as a soul. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a hard, you know, it's a hard mindset. So to, 
Tulpan. Yeah, gotta learn the language. <laughs> what Rabbi? What? Um, what? Uh, what was the impetus in transitioning from your incredible work in Israelite to Orite? And for those of you unfamiliar, Rabbi Aaron spent many years reaching out very successfully and teaching less affiliated our Jewish brothers and sisters. And then in more recent years, you've transitioned to Oraita, which is a phenomenal yeshiva for day school graduates, Orthodox, modern Orthodox day school graduates. What's it been like, um, you know, that switch in your life? And what was the impetus from going from the less affiliated to teaching Jewish day school graduates from modern Orthodox homes? You know, um, first of all, I still have a tremendous passion for reaching out to those who don't have much knowledge about Judaism. Uh, and I wouldn't want to call it transitioning. I would mm -hmm. like to call it uh, adding to, mm -hmm. to my service. I think that's fair. I'll, I'll take that back. Scratch that from the record, please. Yeah. No transition. What I would say is uh, I think as uh, my character gets older, now, of course, when you're a soul, souls are ageless. But as my character gets older, uh, I want to leverage the wisdom that Hashem has blessed me to be a channel for. And I believe that the day school uh, movement and the kids that are coming out of day school are a prime candidates for leadership in the Jewish world. And so uh, I, I didn't leave my passion of outreach, but rather part of my passion of outreach is to help you know, nurture a generation of leaders that can teach a Torah that really inspires and uplifts this generation. Um, I missed much of your answer, but I'm sure it was brilliant. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow the phone just literally dropped on me. But the, um, last, the last part I caught was to, uh, what I heard from you was that uh, you're trying to inspire new leaders and teachers. Right. What well, um, was it recording? Because I don't mind saying it again. That's okay, as long as everyone else heard it. I've probably heard it from you privately. Oh, if, if you didn't hear it, that doesn't mean everybody else did, didn't hear it. Okay. Ah, yeah. Um, All right. And, and what would you say is the major difference that you experience between teaching these two groups? And I know you have to go soon. Uh, you know, and in a certain way, it's much harder. Mm -hmm. Because the you might say the advantage of teaching someone that doesn't have a lot of background in Judaism is they're very open yeah. and they don't have baggage. So, uh, but you, you do have some boys that have been kind of uh, some, some bad ideas, some misconceptions, uh, and some hurt feelings. And so, so in, in that case, there's a certain stage of cleaning out before we can begin to even talk about these ideas, because some of them are so trapped in a very oppressive, disempowering image of God and uh, and have been led to believe that that is God, and you, yeah. you just gotta just gotta accept that. So so teaching the the day school uh, student can be a lot more difficult than someone who is spiritually seeking and open and doesn't really have baggage with Judaism because they don't really know that much about Judaism to have baggage with it. Right, right. and uh, they just want to you know open themselves up. The other difference is you are dealing with guys that are 18 and, and, and an answer is only as good as the question. And uh, there's a certain time in your life where you need to ask questions. And so when you're dealing with young adults, their questions are kind of more formulated and have had the chance to, let's say, 
ferment and become more potent. And there's more at stake where I want an answer to this question. Uh, but I'm meeting a lot of people today, you know, teenagers that kind of gave up asking questions. It's almost as if maybe they've been discouraged to ask questions. And so a question is like, a, it's like it's raining and I don't have a cup to catch the rain. So that's also been a challenge in terms of we have to uh, elicit out of them the questions, not simply offer them the answers. Yeah. And, and it's challenging because the day school curriculum, and I've taught in a couple of day schools, has not been sufficiently tweaked, in my opinion, uh, to include these areas, uh, to talk about Hashem, to talk about the subjects that we've been discussing the last hour. So you're getting students who haven't, you know, that vocabulary has not been developed within them yet. They're probably doing it for the first time at Oraita. Um, yes. yes. And I think one of the challenges I'm seeing in the students is the ideas are so new, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I remember one, one student a couple of weeks ago said, you know, everything you're teaching doesn't connect at all to what I know about Judaism, so I'm really uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, but isn't that called growing? <laughs> like, <laughs> if everything you hear has to be the same as everything you've heard, then you're not growing. Yeah. But I see that people are very uncomfortable to hear something new. Uh, so that's also, a, you know, the... You know, I, I, I love teaching at MJE. You should know I miss it. I mean, when I teach in there, the energy is just unbelievable. You're, you're, you're in the presence of people that want to grow and people that really have questions and are really struggling and looking for, you know, solutions to, to real life problems. Um, but at 18, and especially as we become more and more flooded by social media, then we are... are you know, we 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 yeah. become we we begin to become less deep and less ready to do the work to really climb and ask the big questions of who am I, why am I, what am I doing here, what's the point of all this, and um, you know, so um, but but when they get it, my gosh, they get it. And, oh yeah, uh, and and then you really, have. And then you have students with a lot of the skills and who can really become leaders. I mean, yeah, have, a lot of our students are, have been showing tremendous leadership on campuses. Well, one of your students, uh, you know, Rabbi Kevin Wolf, who is on the MGE staff, yeah. um, and he's just been doing phenomenally well here. He's been on our yeah. staff. He's for, a shining star. He's just incredible. And there's just been many others who've been coming in and helping us who live on the West side and been, you know, just helping us with our work here. So at, whenever I hear they studied our rights, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, so you, Rabbi, you should just continue your incredible teaching to both communities. And I know that um, I didn't mean to imply with the word transition that you've left it, because I know you haven't. And not just, not just the teaching you do for our group, but the amazing. And I just want to say this to anyone listening. Rabbi Aaron has written eight books. I just actually went through... Um, your soul-powered prayers, because I'm working on a chapter on prayer for a book that I'm writing, and um, the Torah there is incredible. I had some questions, but I want to respect your time, so I won't, I won't ask, but I really recommend that book if anyone is struggling with prayer, with tefillah, um, and any of the other books that Rabbi Aaron wrote, Endless Light, and and, and, and all the others, uh, and go on YouTube. There's some that, that, that phenomenal YouTube I just watched yesterday, on um, what happens after we die, the Jewish belief in the in the, in the afterlife, whatever you want to call it, the world to come. 
Uh, it's really, really great stuff, everyone. And we um, can check out my website, rabbidavidaaron.com. Awesome. And by the way, your your video on 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 Ray, which I love, um, it's been it was sent around my little Tanya. We have a WhatsApp group for those in my Tanya class. Very very helpful in elucidating some of the teachings of the Tanya. Okay, so remind me, I have another video called X Ray, which okay. is about Ray dying and what happens when Ray dies. Oh, that's so yeah. sad. Yeah. Well, actually, you'll see that it has a happy ending. Okay, good. X-ray. I love it. All right. I don't know who comes up with that stuff, but it's it's probably you. It's it's the uh I know. Hashem, I'm just a vehicle. It's right, the character. It's the character of you. Okay. <laughs> Rabbi, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much for your time. We really appreciate your incredible it. insight and wisdom, and you should go my strength to strength. My file file, Rabbi. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Right. You too. Take care. Shalom, shalom. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.